Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship is the English ministry of Korean World Mission Baptist Church located in Richardson, Texas. We hold our Sunday services at 11 a.m. and have a time of fellowship and Bible study at 1 p.m. This week's sermon is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-12 and is preached by Pastor Paul Hong. Please uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, uh, they're on p- page 588. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, we're reading through verse 12, page 588 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, uh, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring about uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have uh, now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. Okay. So as uh, I imagine most of you know, uh, next Friday, do we know what day next Friday is? I wonder how many of us actually know. Valentine's Day. Yep. Next Friday is Valentine's Day. It is a very divisive holiday, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think there are uh, basically two camps, okay, that it gets split into, right? And this is just my imagination. There are people who, quote unquote, have someone, and then there are people who do not have someone. Um, and then people who have someone typically seem a little less bitter about it, <laughs> okay, that it's Valentine's Day, right? Typically. And I've been in the people who do not have someone camp. And I was there for very, very, over 20 years I was there. <laughs> and uh, it, is, it can be rough. And it gets to a point where if you're in that camp, uh, you just like, ah, screw it. Let's, let's celebrate. Singleness. Woo! You know, and then you just hang out with your friends and it's fun and it's fine, right? And we've come to that point. And then, then there are other people, and you'll also notice, even in this camp of the people who have somebody, they get split into a camp of, yes, we love each other, let's celebrate our love, let's go out to dinner, spend a lot of money. And then the other group camp of, why do we have to do this every year? <laughs> like, there's that camp as well. So you, you, Valentine's Day, it's a super divisive holiday that revolves around this idea of loving somebody, right? That you either do love somebody or you don't, and you have to figure out like how you're going to respond in, in that situation. And that one thing, having love, having, uh, 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 having someone, 
is the divisive factor, right? That's the thing that divides uh, one camp to another camp. Now, I bring that up because <clears throat> we started First Peter last week, and we uh, talked very briefly about, or at least we talked about what it means to be an elect exile, somebody who, uh, who has uh, been chosen by God uh, by, and made alive by his spirit, being sanctified by his spirit, set apart, right, to be made holy and be holy. And so, in a sense, that's what's happening in First Peter. First Peter is making the division of people who either believe in Christ or who don't, who are elect exiles or who are not. And then the dividing factor is what we're kind of going to be talking about today. Wait, what is the dividing factor between somebody who does not believe in Christ? Like, what does this person look like? How is this person going to be in the midst of his society and in, in, in the kingdom? And then somebody who does not believe in Christ. What is this person like in society, in the world today, and in the kingdom of God? And what we're going to discover is this, that the, the aim of the Christian life is to worship God by living in the hope found in the resurrection of Christ. The aim of the Christian life is to worship God by living in the hope found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So look with me, first of all, in the first uh, three verses, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, by God's power are being regarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So at the very beginning, right, of this passage, we have kind of the point, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean uh, to say blessed be somebody? It's basically another way of saying let, let's worship God, right? Worship him, kneel to him, bow to him. Blessed be uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about last week a little bit that First Peter is, uh, is interesting because it relates, everything is in relation to Jesus Christ. So look at this. It says, blessed be who? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's, we're blessing Jesus' God. We're blessing Jesus' Father. They're, and they're one and the same, by the way, right? And in the same, when we're seeing this, we're also praising our God and our Father, because in our Lord Jesus Christ, we, that relationship is, is, is made, right? Because he is our Lord, we've trusted in him, we've believed in him. And so God, our creator, also becomes our father. And so Peter relates everything to our Lord Jesus Christ and says, praise the God of Christ and praise the father of Christ. He is our God and our father because of Christ. And says, praise him. And that is the aim of the Christian life. Everybody who is a Christian, we have one uniting factor, and it is to worship God. Now, then we have to ask um, why, right? Or at, least, at the very least, how? How do we do this, and why are we able to do this? And it tells us, right, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Okay, so what does it mean to be born again? This is a, obviously thrown around a lot uh, this, this idea of being born again. Uh, if you guys remember, in John chapter 3, there's a story of this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he approaches Jesus in the secret of the night, and he says this to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what is Jesus saying here? And how is, how is Peter using this idea of being born again? To be born again, according to Jesus, is to be born of the Holy Spirit. So think about this. Jesus, he was born of the Virgin Mary. We as Christians believe that. He was, uh, Mary was this young virgin. And it says in the Bible that uh, the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary Jesus. Right? And that's how he was born. It wasn't by a human person. It was by God himself. He was conceived. And so Jesus is born, in a way, of the Holy Spirit like in, in a literal sense, right? And in the same way, we also have to be born by the Spirit. Um, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and so we have to be, in a sense, born again by the Spirit. And so which, that, of the Spirit, that, is, that is born of the Spirit, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, how do we do that? How do we get, how do we get born right, of the Spirit? How do we get to that place? Well, this passage of Nicodemus coming to Jesus, this is John chapter 3, a very famous chapter, because if you re- keep reading past that, you get to John 3.16, which tells us that, um, that God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him, and that's the whole point, but we have to believe in him, we have to trust in him, we have to put our faith in Jesus in order to receive eternal life, in order to be born again. And so being born again, makes God your father, right? Like it says in John, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I think a lot of people confuse that, that confuse this, that everybody is God's children, right? Because we're all created. It's like, no, everybody is God's creation and God is their creator, but not everybody are children of God. God gives that right to people, the privilege to be children of God by belief in him, by having faith in him. And so we're told by Peter that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, the other thing is, the reality is that we do not choose to be born again. Okay, that's a, I mean, it's a weird way to think about it, but think about just your, your natural birth. You did not choose your parents. You did not choose the hospital you were born in. You did not choose to be Korean. You did not choose what your eyes, mouth, and everything looked like. None of that you chose. Your birth was completely out of your hands, right? And sort of in the same way, to be born of the Spirit, it, it, he, uh, th- this passage in John tells us that the Spirit goes wherever it pleases, right? And nobody knows where it comes from or where it's going. It does wh- what it wants, right? And that's what uh, we have to also understand is that we also are, those of us who are born in the Spirit, we learn that God is the one who initiates this relationship, right? He's the one who initiates our new birth. And we have to trust in God for that. And that's why it's a grace. And that's why it's also a great mercy that he has caused us to be born again. Mercy has this connotation that we are in a miserable state, right? In our sin, incapable of becoming alive, making ourselves alive again. And so God in his mercy, because he pities us or shows us compassion. And pity is not a bad thing here, right? It's just the word that the Bible uses. He pities us. And so by his great mercy, he gives us new life. That's the idea. Our new birth unto, uh, un, uh, unto faith in Christ is the fruit of God's great mercy. 
uh, various grace, and this is the difference between grace and mercy. Grace contemplates sinners as guilty. Mercy contemplates them as miserable. Mercy is the response of the divine heart to us when the results of our sin and corruption are seen. We are pitiable, pathetic, and uh, Pitiable, pathetic, and helpless to extricate ourselves from the condition into which sin has plunged us. And so by his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. But then Peter continues, right? We're, born, we're not just only born again, but we're born again into something. And he says this, that we're born again into a living hope, right? Now, we have to kind of separate this into, as opposed to what a, a dead hope might be. What does that mean? What is a living hope? And this is a really unique Word. It's not really found anywhere else in the Bible, this idea of the living hope. Um, hope is an extremely, extremely powerful force. Um, I think I've told this story before. I used to have a youth pastor a long time ago who I kind of grew up with a little bit, um, and he was great. He was, a great. he was a good preacher. He was a, a good Bible teacher. He was a hard worker. He was great with youth kids. He got along with everyone he met, and during that time I knew him, he had gotten married. He had a kid. Um, his youth ministry was flourishing, uh, and he had so many kids looking up to him, right? They loved him so much, and all of us who were working with the youth at the time loved him too. So many people looked up to him. Um, a lot of the kids who came to our youth, their parents or one of their parents either weren't Christian or didn't come out to church, or a lot of them were uh, kids who were sent from Korea by their parents, you know, like, you know, get grades and, and go to a good college in America. And so they didn't have their parents or their Really, most of the time, it was their father that was staying behind, working, sending money over to the mom and the kid, right? And so a lot of these kids were in that situation. So in this youth pastor, they found sort of a parental father figure that, wasn't, that was absent from their lives. And so you can see there was this relationship or connection that was created. But unfortunately, he had some really terrible moral failures and ended up disqualifying himself from the ministry. And so he ended up having to, to leave our church and then... Um, unfortunately, he had also ended up leaving his family as well and abandoning them. And so what's sad, of course, is that he isn't the only one who's done this, right? So many pastors end up just like him. They begin having a lot of perceived success, right? They grow, their numbers grow, their budgets grow, their fame, quote-unquote, grows. And, what, and, then what that, and when that happens, unfortunately, uh, when a certain person or maybe organization uh, starts to gain a lot of influence on people, People start to look to that person uh, or organization to lead them and solve their problems and, in a sense, to save them from whatever their problems might be. They put their hopes in this influential person or organization. The, re the reality is that the, dev the devastation that was caused by the, my ex-youth pastor left behind, it was, it was terrible. All these kids, a lot of the families from our, and kids left our church. A lot of kids uh, denounced their faith. Right? They, were, they were being discipled by him, and then they denounced their faith. They left the faith behind because of their disappointment and hurt from what their youth pastor did. But when you think about it, as sad as it is, it makes total sense. Right? That makes total sense. For the kids who put their hopes in a youth pastor who leave their faith behind when the youth pastor fails, that actually makes total sense. Why? Because their hope was in the youth pastor for their faith in Jesus. We see that? Their hope was put in their youth pastor for their faith in Jesus. So they, was, they said they believed in Jesus and loved Jesus and wanted to worship Jesus. And so, but they told that to the youth pastor. And they wanted the youth pastor to receive this love and affection and whatever those things, all those things from 
the youth pastor and not from Jesus himself. And so when the basis for your hope is gone, and in this case the youth pastor, or when your hopes are unfulfilled, then of course whatever you had hoped to attain would of course decay and die as well. So I have a lot of hopes for Zoe Fellowship. I have a lot of hopes for all of you who attend here every week and serve and learn and have fellowship together. And I know more than ever that I cannot place my hopes uh, for Zoe Fellowship in Zoe Fellowship. And neither should any of you, right? Because to put your hope in something that can and will die and decay and not last forever will only lead to the death of your hope. You have to put your hope in the living one, right? And how is that possible? How are we born again into a living hope? Unfortunately, the scriptures tell us, right? We're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior, right? We have a living hope, a hope that's alive, that will live forever because we have a Savior who will live forever and who is alive right now. We can have hope because Jesus rose again from the dead. So that means you should only put your hope in Jesus, right? So Because people, ultimately, they will fail you. Uh, your organizations that you're a part of will fail you. Your jobs, those things are fickle. You could lose them or you could get tired of them and leave them. Money, grades, reputation, those will all decay and rust and die eventually in the end. Right? They will not last. But Jesus, Jesus will not fail you. Now, does that mean to say, does that mean you just say, I just, okay, then I'll just hope in Jesus. So I don't, I don't have to care about my family. I don't have to care about my friends. I don't have to care about my job or friends or money or any of those things, right? Because all my hope is in Jesus, right? So I just won't care about those things, right? No, if anything, by having a living hope in Jesus, through Jesus' resurrection, it makes all those things matter all the more, right? It's, those things don't become insignificant. You should make friends, right? You should hold on to and pursue relationships. You should work. You should find a job and get good grades and all those things. You should strive to be excellent. Those are all important things. But it's when it's the priority that you put them in, right? If the, if the job and the reputation or your friends or family is on top of Jesus and his, and his resurrection and the gospel, the cause of the gospel and the kingdom, then you're going to die hope, in, in a hopeless despair. And the scary thing is, all those things, family, friends, um, you know, work, reputation, those things can sustain you for a long time through this life. And that's what's scary. Uh, theologians call it passive wrath from God. If you really desire those things, he's like, okay, God will say, okay, take it, have it. Have all the riches, have all the wealth, have all the family and friends, have all the reputation, have it all. And in the end, you won't have the thing that mattered the most. Right? You won't have hope. You won't have Jesus. And so, so all those things matter precisely because we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To be born again into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection tells us that our priorities and our way of living has totally shifted. It means that you understand that this life is not about making the best of this life now. Rather, you have something else in mind. And what is this thing? What are we looking forward to? So we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, so that the inheritance, especially in the Old Testament, 
uh, uh, typically is referring to land. Okay, so the inheritance of land was a major source of increasing wealth and security and social status. Um, and Jewish Christians would remember that uh, the land of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament has been ravished, right? It's been defiled and defaced by foreign invaders. Like, it's their land that the Lord had promised them in his covenant with Abraham. However, it's been overrun. It's been defiled and defaced by uh, enemies. But the reality of this is that in the New Covenant, right, with Jesus, knowing the gospel, trusting in him, the inheritance of the New Covenant Christian here is shown to be superior to the inheritance of the people of Israel in the land of Canaan. So that earthly land was not kept for them like it is, like this one is. Okay? The, that earthly land was not kept for them, but it was taken from them in exile and later by Roman occupation. Even while they possessed the land, it produced rewards that decayed and rewards that, whose glory faded away and the beauty of the land's holiness before God was repeatedly defiled by sin. And so the way that the new covenant uh, inheritance that we have by our belief in Jesus that we are born again into is imperishable, unlike the land. It's undefiled, unlike the land and that inheritance, old covenant inheritance. It's unfading. It's uh, kept in heaven. It's not, it can't be taken away by anybody. And it tells us, it, it, this is almost like, kind of like a reflection or a, uh, 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 a summary in, in, of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, right? But lay up for tr uh, yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ultimately, we are born again into an inheritance where it, will not, it cannot be stolen, taken away by anybody. It is unfading, undefiled, imperishable. Now, this idea of an inheritance also, you have to remember, uh, kind of tells us about the idea of adoption in Christ. Because all of us, in a sense, like, I was an orphan lost at the fall, right? <laughs> right? We're, we're orphans. We're lost because of our sin. But we've been adopted into God's family. And so whatever is uh, given to even biological children, everything that's given to, and we can say this, that everything that is uh, inherited uh, by Jesus, by, by his father, is now ours as well because we're also heirs. We've been adopted into the same family. Jesus is our king, but he's also our brother. And now we get to share in the same inheritance that Jesus has. And this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for us. And that's an amazing thing. And it's, it's, it also helps us to worship God in the midst of all of that. But then not only that, right? It says that, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are also, not only is our inheritance, right, it's eternal, it's undefiled, it's kept in heaven for us, but we ourselves are also being guarded by God's power. This is really significant because, remember, First Peter is written to probably a group of Christians who are in exile who or maybe have been displaced from their homeland. And so they, and, th and they're being persecuted, and so they're being tempted to leave their faith, right? They're being tempted to uh, leave their faith and abandon uh, the, the life of a Christian. But he also says, but he says, the same faith that they're being perse persecuted for is the same faith that keeps them in the relationship with God. 
right? The same faith that they're being persecuted for and causes rejection from society is the same faith that is the means of their protection by God's power and reveals them to be legitimate heirs of the inheritance that they're born again into, right? And so what this tells us is this, that being born again through Christ's resurrection results in personal hope that redefines us as Christians in terms of our society and in terms of the kingdom. Being born again through Christ's resurrection results in personal hope that redefines us in terms of our society and in terms of the kingdom. Moving on in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, <clears throat> then, he tells, then Peter tells the, the audience of this letter, right? In this you rejoice. And what is this? He's talking about the salvation that they have in Christ. That's supposed to be revealed to them in the last time. In this salvation you rejoice, though, and then he, he makes some caveats here. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, right? So what's interesting here is that it seems that Peter is saying that they have to, right, if necessary, be grieved by various trials. And trials here, the word for trials here is the same word used for temptations. Now you kind of would wonder, okay, what does it mean? Or like what are they being tempted by? Is it just about sin or whatever the case is? But the temptation is to leave their faith. Again, they're under persecution. And so the temptation is to abandon their faith so they can just fit in with society. But they've been grieved by these certain temptations. Why? And this is why it's necessary. So that, verse 7, that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith needs to be tested. It's to, to show that it is genuine. If you have a genuine faith, if you're a legitimate heir of Christ, right, of all the inheritance that is being kept for us, if that's legitimate, then you will endure. Right? You will endure the persecution. You will endure the various trials. Right? You, all these things will show that your faith is genuine. Remember last week we talked about the parable of the sower that Jesus talked about, right? Shared about how he spread the gospel seed around and it fell on different paths or roads or dirt, basically, right? And the ones that fell on the path, right, it, it, it was blown away by the wind. Ones that also fell on the path, it also, I'm sorry, the ones that fell on the path, the birds came and ate it up, representing the evil one, right? The devil coming up and taking away the gospel seed and people never truly believing and receiving the gospel. And then there were ones that fell on the road or on, these, on this rocky soil so that it could never really take root. And so as soon as that any persecution or any sort of troubles came their way, they were blown away by the wind, right? It was, as soon as any persecution troubles came, they were blown away because their roots weren't deep enough in the soil. And then there was the, there was the soil uh, that also had like thorns and thistles in it, representing the worldly, worldly desires and pleasures that choke out the gospel seed. And then, of course, there is the good soil where the roots are deep, that you're sustained by that, 
through any sort of circumstance, any wind or rain or anything that might come that way. And so this is what's happening. It's like it's showing us what kind of soil are you? These various trials, right, that are happening to these Christians, it's showing the type of soil that you are. Are you on the path? Are you on are you rocky soil? Are you the one um, with thorns and thistles where you're just going to be swept away by the pleasures of this world? These are all the things that are, we're being tested by. And what's more interesting is that uh, Paul says, or sorry, Peter says <clears throat> that your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. Back in the day, gold used to be burnt up, right? They, they put it in, in, in the fire so that any, to purify it, basically. So anything, that any sort of like blemishes it might have had, any sort of like, I don't know, like dust or dirt or anything, would be burned up in the fire and it would come out and be refined and it would be clean and it would be shiny and glorious, right? And in the same way, our faith is like that. But it's more precious. It's more precious than this gold because what? Because gold will perish. In the end, it will perish. It will melt away. Right? It, it won't mean it. It won't have the value that it holds now. But your faith, it will last forever. If it's genuine, if it's sincere, it will last forever. And so, in this, in this salvation, this whole salvation, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, um, <clears throat> so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, your faith will result in his praise, which yet again is the aim of the Christian life. The aim of the Christian life is to worship God through the living hope that we have in Christ. Right? And so that's why we have to go through various trials of various kinds. And then verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This, seem, this might seem a little random, but really what all it's saying is that though we are limited in our experience with Jesus, our joy in him is not, right? Though we are limited in our experience with Jesus, right, our joy in him is not. And it's not because of our faith in him. And so Peter says, though you haven't seen him, most of those Christians maybe in the, in the diaspora who were exiled away, they probably never met Jesus. They never, maybe never seen him in their life. But though we haven't seen him, we love him. That's the same with us too. We've never seen Jesus. Yet here we are worshiping him, loving him, following him, sacrificing everything for him. And the same way, though you do not now see him, you rejoice because of the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Right? Though we don't see him now, we believe in him. We trust that the promises that he made will come to fruition one day. And that's where our hope lies. So though we are limited in our experience with Jesus, our joy in him is not limited. Right? We can find real joy because we trust in him and we love him. And though we are being grieved by various trials, we know that we are being pure. Our faith is being tested to be found genuine, sincere. And then finally, in verse 10 to the end, concerning this salvation, Right? Paul, Peter, yet again, is talking about the salvation, this whole salvation process. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
And so Peter, again, talks about this salvation. Concerning this salvation, the one that they are rejoicing in, the one that will, uh, that the salvation, which is the thing that they're looking forward to, um, that they're going to attain by their faith. He says the prophets prophesied about this. The prophets. And they prophesied about this grace. They prophesied and predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets, we're talking about, of course, Old Testament prophets. Let me read to you um, just one. There's, there, there, it's, there's so many different prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus specifically. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole of one. Okay, It's Isaiah 53. Um, it's not up there. If you wanted to look in your Bibles, you can follow along with me. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Okay, And think about this. This is the Old Testament. They do not know about Jesus. Okay, Or at least they don't know how it's going to happen. They don't know what it's about. And yet read this and... I imagine because we are on this side of the cross, all we can see here is Jesus. Okay, think about this. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned, every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people." And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. How can we read that not think of Jesus? Now these prophets, the prophets Isaiah, these people who are writing all these prophecies, they didn't know it was Jesus. Right? And that's what First Peter is saying, right? In First Peter, it's saying that they're inquiring the person or time that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, in them was indicating when he predicted, suffering, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So they didn't know it was Jesus. They were trying to find out who and when this, this person that's going to be afflicted by grief and smitten by God and the one that's going to bear their iniquities. They're trying to figure out who this is. They don't know. But then soon, it says this in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. 
right? And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so now these, these prophets, they realize, oh, it's a coming Messiah. Right? And for us, and, it, and, and it's, they're serving us because we're seeing this, and we see that they were being led by the Spirit of Christ, and that same Spirit of Christ is the one that sanctifies us, right? That, that was in verse 1 and 2 of, of 1 Peter, right? It's the, same, it's the same Spirit that sanctifies us. It's the one that is keeping our inheritance for us, right? It's it's, it's the, the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing all these things. And it is the same Holy Spirit that's in these prophets. And so we're all, con- it, we're seeing it throughout the scriptures. It's serving us because we're seeing it. And we're seeing that this was the plan all along. And so we see this, and it should lead us to worship. And they discovered that they were not serving themselves, but you through the gospel that was preached to you by the Holy Spirit. And what's, then he says this line, right? That angels long to look at this, right? It says, <clears throat> things into which angels long to look. I don't know how Peter knows that, but it seems, but like the, the thought of it is astounding, right? That we have these angelic beings that we know very little about, and they are longing to look at this idea, this, this plan of redemption come to fruition, right? In the lives of his creation. Angels do not get to be redeemed. There is no repentance for them. That is not an option to them that's offered to them by God for whatever reason. I I mean, I don't know. That's just the way God made things, I guess. And so they're looking at this good news, this gospel that's been preached, that's been carried along through the prophets and the apostles all the way through to us today through his word. They're looking at this, and they're they're longing to see, like, what is this about? How How is this possible? Because they don't have it. And so what this shows us, what these last few verses shows us about the salvation that's being, that we are to obtain one day, is that we are privileged to know the gospel, right? We are privileged to know the gospel and to know the hope that we have in Jesus. We are privileged to know the gospel and to know the hope that we have in Jesus. And so this whole passage, right, this whole passage from 3 through 12, showing us yet again the aim of the Christian life is to worship God by living in the hope found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So everything that we have, where we put all our hopes, Right? This is what is going to distinguish the Christian from the non-Christian. The, the, the distinguish the Christian from the non-Christian is where we put our hope because that hope is what leads us to our purpose. Do we, are we going to worship God? Or are, we, are we not going to worship God? And this is where it divides for us, that we understand our purpose. Our purpose is not to get the highest paying job or the best grade or going to the best school or whatever, gain this amount of, have this reputation. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to worship God in whatever that we do. That God, our uh, worship and obedience to him, is in everything that we're doing, in our relationships, in our families, in our work, in our schools. Everything that we're doing, that's where, and, and, it, it, and that only happens when your hope is in Jesus, the gospel alone. And so the aim of the Christian life is to worship God by living the hope found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So believe in him. Believe in the gospel. Trust in him. This is how these people are able to go through trials of various kinds. It's because they trusted the father that was keeping them, the inheritance that they're supposed to have one day. This is how these people got through all those things, too, because they realized who they are, why they're different from the rest of the world, why they're exiles in a foreign land. It's because they knew that the aim of the Christian life is to worship God by living in the hope found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.